Well, so glad you're here for this Sunday. This week I had the privilege of uh, teaching with a, a couple of the days with the kids. And one of the, the special messages that we shared was getting a chance to talk about, uh, about Peter, Simon Peter, if you're familiar with him. And as I was teaching about him and teaching about depending on God for our strength, I was like, you know what? Peter's that guy that's worth teaching the adults too. So you guys are going to get an adultified, uh, that sounded weird, uh, version of this kid's uh, sermon, uh, obviously adding a bit to it. Let me pray before we dive into the story of Peter. Lord Jesus, we thank you already this morning for how you've showed up, just your presence here, even in the beauty of the kids singing and the content of the speech we heard, God, of all that you're doing in this church. We believe that the investment in the next generation is worth it here. We're grateful now for a chance to study your word. We thank you for all of this that speaks, not just to superficial stuff, but issues and matters of the heart. Now we ask that you would speak to us directly. We believe that can happen when we open your word. So we invite that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So Peter, you might know of him as Simon Peter. We were looking at his story this week, and if you're not familiar with him, he was one of Jesus' disciples, and probably some would debate one of Jesus' closest friends, like best buddies, spent three and a half years just traveling around with Jesus, saw him do everything, some, some healing, some teaching, his interactions with people, I'm sure very compelled. And he was that guy, if you have one of these friends, that kind of walks that fine line between confidence and being obnoxious, kind of that, that very fine line. Maybe you're sitting next to that person right now. Don't tell them, don't nudge. But here's the, the description of him, fisherman from Galilee, kind of a burly guy. I'm picturing a, a, a big beard, uh, maybe a, a couple of extra pounds that had built up over the years. I don't know. You come up with your own image, but that's the, the picture I have of Simon Peter, this tough fisherman who is close buddies with Jesus. When we look at his story, you start to see that probably the self-confident thing was a little bit of an issue. We're going to look at a, a number of different vignettes from his life. And the first one is an interaction that he had with Jesus himself. Instead of making you look up all these passages like I normally do, I'm going to actually put them on the screen. The first section of scripture I want to look at is found in Mark 14. And this is an interaction with Jesus you might be familiar with. And Jesus said to them, talking to the disciples, you will all fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Now, you're probably familiar with that interaction, kind of uh, pride going before a fall. This takes place right after the Last Supper. They're in the Mount of Olives, and they're having a chance to pray before Jesus is finally betrayed and arrested. You remember that scene most likely. But interesting that Jesus, most likely in the conversation where they had just talked about betrayal, Jesus reminds me, hey, you're all going to fall away from me. I like to see Peter's confidence to some degree, but what does he do? It's interesting because this is the same Peter that's already at this point in his life, already acknowledged Jesus as the son of the living God, already acknowledged who he is, the Messiah, 
but yet he's willing to question the statement that Jesus makes. If you think about this, the degree of boldness that that takes, you're like, yeah, I know you're God in the flesh, and I know you've never, ever been wrong, but in this area, you're definitely wrong. Can you imagine talking to God like that? What, what brings a person to that level of confidence? What I would suggest is that he was drinking the same Kool-Aid that we get served today. The same Kool-Aid that we get served today, the I can do it mentality, right? You can do it. This, uh, this picture I thought of this week uh, made, made, me, made me smile. This, this image, this idea it permeates our culture. You can do it if you dig in deep enough, if you try hard enough, if you, you have the strength within to do it. You see, that line of thinking works really well until what? Until crisis hits, until, until someone you care about passes away, until all of a sudden life gets really hard beyond what you're actually equipped to stand against. When, when all of that happens, all of a sudden, that self-confidence, you realize, man, it, it doesn't make the grade. It, it doesn't survive. It, it collapses. And you wonder why we're a culture that's surrounded with so much anxiety, depression, and misuse of, uh, uh, of drugs. Because of this, we're fed the line, you can do it, but reality strikes, and you come to the conclusion, wait, I can't do it in my own strength. I can't do it in my own strength. That's really what had happened here, is this is a self-confident person that came to this resolve that he could do it, and then all of a sudden reality hits, and reality for him hit the hardest when Jesus, his best friend, and the person that he was carving his life after was taken prisoner. All of a sudden, when he's taken away by Roman guards, fear sets in. All of a sudden, the, the threat of his, his life being taken. Take a look at this next vignette. So the first one I mentioned as depending on your own strength. The second piece, not as strong as I thought. Mark 14, 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, he followed along kind of watching. One of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, but the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are, the Galilee, are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Stop there for a moment, kind of a, a hard section to read. This, this man that was most likely the closest friend that Jesus had, this tough, burly fisherman caved in. What is it that caused that kind of fear? Who is it in this section of scripture there? Who confronted him? What does it, what does it say? Was it, was it a big little a big guy or a little, what was it? It's a little servant girl. You're like, what, what happened to this tough, boisterous guy, super tough guy, all of a sudden willing to cave at the confrontation of a servant girl? Are you kidding me? But here, the, the secret of it's actually not just that she's a ser servant girl. One of the servant girls of who? Of the high priest. 
This was a servant of the high priest, which was Caiaphas, who was the exact same person that had Jesus Christ arrested and was attempting to take his life at this point in the story. So he's not just afraid of a little girl. Let's be, give him a little bit of a break here. He was afraid for what? His life. His life. He, 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 was, he was concerned. He knew that this high priest that was coming after Jesus, he could be on the same target list if he wasn't careful. So self-preservation superseded his loyalty to Christ. He came to realize something. We're weak in our own strength. We're weak in our own strength. You see, it's important for us to recognize our weakness. We need a healthy distrust of self. We need a healthy distrust of self because we are weak on our own. In fact, some of you, this might be news. In fact, tell the person next to you, say, you are weak. Right now, do this. Tell them you are weak on your own. Some of you found great satisfaction in doing that, but here's the the picture uh, so even more than the kids did this week. And so uh, the, the truth is, the truth of the matter, it's what we're taught throughout Scripture. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Anyone who thinks he can stand on his own, whoever thinks he can stand in his own strength, take heed or take warning in this thinking that you can do it on your own. You think about it, the entire Old Testament is telling us this exact same story. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it. Doesn't matter how hard you try. Doesn't matter what your resolve is, your commitment in our own strength. We're weak and we can't do this on our own. The collapse of self-confidence is a necessary and beautiful thing if we actually step away and watch it. Step away and watch it. You see here, what does it say at the end? After he's realized he's blown it, it says, he broke down and what? Wept. Broke down and wept. Wept isn't like a, oh, just tearing up. I got a little bit of uh, teary-eyed. No, wept is like legit, heartfelt, pouring out with tears because you realize, oh, man, it wasn't as strong as I thought. I'm, I'm not as committed as I thought in my own strength. I can't do this. It's an important conclusion that every single person has to come to on the front side of encountering Jesus Christ. Do you understand what I mean by that? You have to come to this realization, I can't do it. Man, I need somebody that can. I need somebody that can. So here in God's kindness, he helps him recalibrate his confidence, important for us as well. In John 21 is the next kind of picture that we're looking at here. Take a look at this interaction. It says, When they had finished breakfast, and let me just give you a little background here. This is after Jesus has risen from the dead. He's come back. He's already revealed himself to the disciples. Now he's encountering them once again here back uh, making breakfast for them. I'll explain more in a minute. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it to him a third time. Do you love me? He questioned Mark. And he said to him, 
Lord, you know everything. A little change in perspective there. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This interaction is a pretty powerful one. A little background here. So this is after, as I mentioned, he's back to life. He's meeting them and he's meeting them down at the Sea of Galilee. So fun this past uh, January, I got to go to Israel for the first time and actually sitting in this exact same area. Here's a, a picture uh, of me there sitting in the kind of the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. And you start to see these aren't just made up characters and made up locations in a faraway land. This is real things that happened. And this was a, a real interaction. And you imagine the tension in that breakfast where Jesus invites them to come in from fishing, where he's prepared a, a, a fish breakfast for them. So they're interacting. You imagine there's a lot of awkward, anybody think some awkward silences in that uh, interaction? The whole group, all these guys had betrayed them. So there's not a lot of talk, I imagine. A little bit of some murmuring. Hey, how you doing? You know, you healing up? Like, what, what, is that, what, is that interaction, what does that interaction look like between Jesus and the disciples? Like, what do you say to Jesus after he's back to life, you know, what, is that, what does that look like? I didn't mean that to be sacrilegious there. But, but you, 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 you imagine a lot of silence, a lot of awkward pauses, and then Jesus, what I love is that he breaks through the awkwardness and starts the conversation. I think that's kind of a picture of how Jesus operates in general. He doesn't wait for us to get our act together while we are yet sinners he died for us. Instead, he breaks through and initiates restoration. He initiates restoration. And he asks him a question. What's the question that he asks him? Do you love me? Now, all of us have spent some time in, in church, have probably learned the different types of love. Well, I'll give a quick recap of them. Here's the, the three main types of, of love. The first one is eros. It's kind of a love that's described that where we get the word erotic, usually saved within the context of marriage, husband and wife. That's not the word that's used here. Filio is kind of the idea of a, a friendship kind of love, very committed, but not perfect. It's the word we get the city of Philadelphia. There, we're learning new stuff here today. Philadelphia, we get that word for love. And then agape, agape love is what we name our singing group of. Uh, it's, it's perfect love. It's only capable by God. It's not bound by circumstances. It's, it's something that was demonstrated on the cross through Jesus Christ. Perfect, sacrificial love that's not altered. It can't be changed. That's the kind of love that our God has for us. So it's important to understand those because they understand this interaction of what word is being used. The first time he asked Peter, it's kind of a check to see where Peter's heart is. He says, hey, Peter, do you agape me? Peter, in response, says, yes, Lord, I phileo you. Do you see the difference? He, he's, all, all of a sudden, the, the confidence has gone down a few notches in this interaction. He knows that he can't, based on his actions, claim agape love any longer. He knows that he's bound. All of a sudden, he needs to bring it down a few notches. His actions wouldn't support the claim if he said agape, the second time, he asks him again, Jesus, asks him, do you agape me? A second time, and I, I love that Jesus says, yes, I, I'm sorry, Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. All of a sudden, it's a, he's pointing to his omniscience. He's the one that knows everything, not Peter, obviously. 
third time, after Peter again says phileo, he adjusts. The third time Jesus asks him, he says, do you phileo me? Peter felt probably a little bit embarrassed there because he's like, oh man, now he's, now he's even questioning whether or not I have a, a brotherly kind of love for him. But again, he responds a third time and he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. You know that I, you, 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 you're the one that knows all. I, I don't. You know everything and you know that I phileo you. There's this interaction. Love what a beautiful thing that is. How many times had he betrayed him? Three. How many times did he get a chance to restore that relationship? Three. It's a pretty powerful picture that Jesus says. He's like, man, I, I, I'm not holding grudges against you. I'm not bitter against you. I want to restore you. And then the cool thing is, is I want to put you back in the game again. He's, he's like, the, if you love me, then what? feed my sheep, take care of them, tend them, provide for me. He's like, I want you not just to be back to fishing. That's when early on he says, do you love me more than these? He's referring to this, this fishing lifestyle that they were going back to. Do you love me more than that? Then go out and take care of people. He initially called him to be a fisher of men. Do what I've called you to do. That's how restoration still works today. What happens in our life still today, a couple thousand years later, when we blow it, we acknowledge that we blow it. God confronts us in our sin. We acknowledge it. We confess it. And then he's like, let's get you back in the game. Let's get you back in a, a life of influence and significance. So betrayal, restoration, and back in the game. I love later on that Peter, in 1 Peter 5, 5, he pens these words because he learned a little something here. He says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He had learned a valuable lesson in this process that when, when you're self-confident, when you're believing, I can do this, and that's not going to get you anywhere. And, and in fact, if you're to grade his first interaction, if you're to grade that one, what letter would you give it? An F. It was a fail. Like, the, it, it was, he, he blew it majorly. Now, as we wrap up, I'm going to show you guys, in God's kindness, he gets one more opportunity with the exact same scenario. What's your guess of how he's going to do this next time in his performance? A little better. Let's take a look at this last section. It says this in Acts chapter 4, verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power, by what name, did you do this? Little backdrop there. Basically, he's now, this is after Christ is risen and going back to be at the right hand of God the Father. The disciples are left with this call and this charge to go make disciples. And now they've been arrested and they're standing before, guess who? Caiaphas. Caiaphas. Now his greatest fear is realized. He's actually having to stand before this high priest that he was fearful of. Let's see how he does. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done by, to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, 
By him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Woo! All of a sudden, do you think he's, he's upped his game a little bit? What do you guys think? Like, what would you grade that one? Like, all of a sudden, you're like, yeah, that's, that's an A. That's pretty much an A. That was an Ava Pachifati speech. Like, that was like legit, like, uh, that was legit boldly proclaiming Jesus Christ, no longer timid and afraid. And do you see, bring that passage back up one more time. Do you see any difference in the, what was Peter prior to this versus Peter in this scenario? It's in uh, the, kind of the second line there. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Wait a second. We have the exact same scenario, the same thing. His life is on the line. He's standing before the high priest. If it doesn't go well, this could end really poorly for Peter. So same exact threat, same exact scenario, same exact person that he was afraid of. What do you see as the difference? All of a sudden, he's being led not by self-confidence by God-confidence. It makes such a difference. You see, when we've embraced Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when there's a point in our life that you can point to where you've humbly bent a knee and said, I can't do this. I'm self-confident. I'm done. I'm embracing what Jesus did, the finished work of what he did on the cross. When you have that point in your life, that crossroad of embracing Jesus Christ, like all these kids right here on the cross there, when that happens, the Holy Spirit comes up and sets up camp inside of you, giving you a power source like you wouldn't imagine. All of a sudden, when you're afraid of of death and fear, like all, all this, you're like, are you kidding me? I've got a new power source. It's not me. It's power in the Holy Spirit. That changes everything. I was sharing with the kids, I was giving it a little bit of a illustration or example kind of of what it looked like. I had talked to him about, hey, have any of you ever, because the topic was fear, have any of you ever been bullied in school before? It's actually kind of sad to see some of the kids raising their hand. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, but, but anyway, in, the, in that, I said, now imagine next time you're back in school, I said, do any of you know who Dwayne The Rock Johnson is? Do you guys know uh, who, who that is? And all, all, all of the kids knew who that was for sure. And I said, now imagine with me, Imagine the next time you're walking the halls of school, you had Dwayne The Rock Johnson walking around you as your bodyguard. Like anybody that messes with you, you're messing with this guy. I said, I said, would, would you guys be, af- do you think any bullies would mess with you anymore? Do you think you'd be afraid of anything? Like would bullies get, stop and leave you alone? One kid raises his hand, it killed me. He says, no, I would become the bully. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I was like, I think you're, you're missing the idea here. <laughs> but but in, that, in that, I was thinking about, well, to a degree, that kind of captures it, though. That kind of captures it. All of a sudden, when you're aware of the power source, the God of the universe, the one that speaks things into existence, that sustains life, that keeps your heart beating, that allows your lungs to suck in air. When you have the one that controls all of that, that can alter situations in a moment, can heal things, create things, that when all of a sudden that's at your disposal, what in the world could come against us that should bring us fear? That should, it, it changes 
everything when you're aware of the source of strength that you have inside of you. You're like, are you kidding me? He set up camp inside of me. Do you see how that changes everything? How Think about some of the things in your life that you struggle with. Ongoing battle with sin. Ongoing battle of sin. Do you not think the next time you're tempted or being drawn towards something, if you called out to the power of God living inside of you, God, I need victory of this. Help me. Flood me with strength. Do you not think he's not going to come rushing and give you victory over that besetting sin? Are you kidding me? He's like, does that align with God's will? Yes, it does. He's going to get behind that. He's going to support that. Secondly, think about, think about the next time you're, you're anxious or, or stressed out or fearful. Do you not think in a moment of, of panic, call out to God, do you not think he wants to flood you with comfort, encouragement? He wants to give you the most amazing hug and remind you of how loved you are, and he's got this. Do you, that's, that, that's the difference. That's the difference when you're, when you're dealing with this stress, anxiety, fear, uh, loss, any of the things that causes the self to collapse causes him to rise up. All of a sudden, in our weakness, he's made perfect, right? Because that's when he demonstrates his strength. So for the kids, the lesson this week I think was an important one, but I think it carries over to the adults. The idea, this picture of it needs, we need to be done with self-confidence, no longer depending on our own strength. We need to come to some realization that I am weak on my own. There needs to be a readjustment and then a, a turning over, a turning over and saying, man, but I'm not weak when I'm God-confident. I'm not weak. I, I'm bold in situations. The next time you're like, I don't know about talking to this person like Ava said. I don't know about that. What's going to happen? And do you not think if you call out to God and say, give me the words to say, do you not think he's going to come flooding with the right things to say? He wants to meet us in all of our areas of need, and he's the ultimate source of strength in our life. Amen? Thanks, you guys. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you this morning for a chance to be together, a chance to be in your word, to celebrate you through song, and to see the the little voices and little lives up here that are already being impacted, the next generation of Jesus followers rising up. God gives me hope for the future because you're still at work, you're still pursuing hearts. And I pray for the person that's maybe here this morning that has heard this message and heard this talk about a, a God that loves them and Jesus' work on the cross, but they've never made the decision to embrace Jesus Christ. My hope is that they wouldn't leave today without getting that situated, that they would take this moment to call out to you Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I thank you, Jesus, for what you did, your finished work on the cross, absorbing all of my sin. I turn my life over to you. It's a choice, God, I'm confident no one in this room would ever regret. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. We praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, I pray that this week going ahead, that you go in with a, not a self-confidence, but a God confidence because of who's living inside of you. If there's something specific we could be praying for you after the service. We have a few volunteers here in the front available. Otherwise, God bless you. Have an amazing Sunday.